City University Television presents the American Theatre Wing Seminars. Working in the theatre. This seminar, play script, director. Welcome to the American Theatre Wing Seminars on Working in the Theatre. These are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. As I speak to you, this is the 22nd year that we have been giving you these seminars right from this very same place. And the seminars are geared to give you an inside view of what it is to work in the theatre, what it is to work from the viewpoint of the performer, the playwright, the director, the set designer, the costume designer, the unions and guilds, all the people, the producers, that come together to bring the magic of theater to the audience. The American Theater Wing is possibly best known for its Tony Award, which was founded in honor of Antoinette Perry, who was all of those things. She was a producer, a director, a playwright. I think she probably also designed costumes and scenery as well, but I'm not sure. And this is the Tony Award, and it's the 50th anniversary of the American Theatre Wing's Tony Award. So there's a great history here and a great feeling of continuity in the theatre. The Wing, however, does more than just the Tony Awards. We are a year-round organization, and we bring theatre to hospitals and nursing homes and aid centers. We also bring theatre to high school students in a new program, which is Theater in Schools, and it is exactly that. We bring everyone that has a part in the theater to a high school, and they talk one-on-one -on -one with the children of what it is to work in the theater, again, from every standpoint, from the stage manager to the director. We also have a program called Introduction to Broadway, and that brings high school students to Broadway. It's our fifth season, and over 55,000 children have come in from the five boroughs of New York to see their very first Broadway play, in most cases. They pay for this, a very small amount for us, a large amount for them, but part of the program is that they make the commitment to buy a ticket and get into the habit of seeing a show. It's exciting for them, and it's wonderful for us to see what happens to young people when they're exposed to theater and every aspect of it. And then there are these seminars, which is, I think, one of the most important things that anyone can possibly do, and that is to bring the kind of people that the wing calls upon to share their knowledge and with each other and with you. And so here we are again on a wonderful seminar, which is on the playwright, the director, the lyricist, and the composer. And we're going to hear which one has the upper hand, which one tells which one to do what before you, the audience, gets to see it. It is co-chaired by Brendan Gill, who is a 
member of the board of directors of the American Theatre Wing, an author and a critic, and a man who loves theater. And George White, who is president of the O'Neill Center in Waterford, Connecticut, and is a director on the faculty of Yale University, and he too adores theater, as do I. So please enjoy today's seminar. On my far left is George C. Wolfe, whose Broadway credits include what is printed here as Angles in America, which George might well be able to create a play about, but in any event, Angels in America, Jelly's Last Jam, and The Tempest, and currently on Broadway as director and one of the creators of an extraordinary thing, Bring In Da Noise, Bring In Da Funk. Uh, <laughs> next, next to George is Tom Jones, the lyricist, uh, who wrote the lyrics for The Fantastics and I Do, I Do, and uh, the Fantastics, as almost everybody in the world knows, is, I think, the second longest-running uh, theatrical work on record. And uh, immediately to my left is Mary Murphitt, who is responsible for the music and lyrics of Cowgirls. Other credits include Oil City <coughs> Symphony and Home Fires. And on uh, my uh, far right and uh, Isabel's immediate left, is Leonard Fulia, who is director of Masterclass, and his other directing credits include By the Sea, By the Sea, By the Beautiful Sea, Lonely Planet, and Heidi Chronicles. And uh, next to Leonard is Michael Greif, who is uh, director of the New York Theater Workshop production of Rent, an artistic director of La Jolla Playhouse, where he recently directed Randy Newman's Faust and Tony Kushner's Slobs. And uh, next to me is... Uh, Betty Howie, who is the book writer for Cowgirls, and can also include playwriting, acting, and directing on her resume. Great. Uh, and I'd like to start by talking about a little bit about the, not the actor prepares, but the director prepares. If I may, I wanted to uh, start with Leonard and ask if, uh, in the approach to master class, uh, whether in your preparation you had uh, viewed the I guess the famous videotapes of Maria Callas uh, doing the master classes. And how, tell me a little about your preparation. I, I just need to correct one thing. Okay. Daniel Sullivan directed the Heidi Chronicles. I was the assistant director on the Heidi Chronicles. <laughs> I just um, read them. I know. I know. <laughs> Dan Sullivan directed. <laughs> um, <laughs> could be killed for that. Um, well, I, I, it was kind of an extraordinary situation with with master class in that I didn't know initially what I was directing in that Terence was invited to a playwrights conference in Montana and a few months beforehand he asked me to come with him as his director he hadn't written anything so I had there was no way to do any preparation five days before I left he, he called me down to his apartment and gave me the, just the first act I didn't know what it was I did know Maria Callas had you know figured into it in some way so there was really there was really no time initially before the first we did about a week and a half workshop and maybe maybe in a way that was a good thing in that I was focusing on a play by Terence McNally not any sort of a docudrama or documentary which is one of the things we've tried to you know make it clear that this is definitely an invention of Terence's so the initial and he wrote the second act while we were there so all I got in was a biography of Callis on the plane you know um, so initially it was simply an invention by Terence 
and it, it, Terence's idea of Maria Callas. And um, so, and then in the interim, there was about six months before we went into rehearsal, before we finally started working on it. And then I did all of all of the stuff, you know. He viewed all the videotapes, watching, dealing with a famous person. There was it's endless, you know, with her too, with the recordings and the, and so I did all of that. But it, the fact that it was done backwards, I think, was a good thing because it was always the focus was always on Terence's script. Uh -huh. And um, so uh, eventually we did it all. I, the most worthwhile thing I think I did was in the interim is I, I just went to a master class that Marilyn Horn was teaching up at Yale. And it was just kind of interesting that nobody cared about those students at all. You know, every person in that audience was just focused on her. And, you know, what was she going to say? And it was really part master class, part stand-up routine. I mean, she was working that audience from beginning to end. You know, she's just a performer and a star. So that, and I was... What I learned was how much Terence had captured that already in his script. Uh -huh. And although I would like to say I did endless, endless preparation that, you know, gave me all these wonderful moments in the play, but Terence had captured it so beautifully that I found that when I did the research, it just confirmed, you know, what... There aren't very many people in the world that could ever write as fast as Terence. He's the <coughs> fastest gun in the East. But he is. That, on that occasion, he was proving he was the fastest gun in the West. I think what Terence does is... is um, People think, oh, he just whips off these plays in two seconds. I think what he does is, I think it, it, it's a germ in his mind for a long, 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 long time. Mm -hmm. Because he, he, he mentioned to me months before he thought it, it was going to be... Actually, he told me the moment when it kind of happened. He said it's the only time it's ever happened to him, when, when the idea for a play actually snapped in front of him. Um, and, and it's actually kind of, what's well, kind of a good story. Do you want to hear it? Sure. Uh, <laughs> they were doing a little... Um, more interesting about what we do anyway. Um, he was the Manhattan Theater Club did a little um, did a little benefit for him, big benefit for him. And um, Nathan Lane came out and did a big speech from Lisbon Traviata about Maria Callas. And then the next thing that happened was Zoe Caldwell walked on stage and did a speech. For, they were doing all scenes from his plays. Did a speech from Perfect Ganesh, and he said Nathan walked off doing the thing about Callas, and Zoe walked on, and he said. Zo Callas, and that was it. And he said at that moment he knew what the first line of the play was, hmm. and um, and so it, it was a wonderful experience in that having having that wealth of material, too. But it was it, it was also keeping the line that this is an inv invention. I mean, Terence did attend the master classes twenty yeah, you know twenty that. years ago, but as he always tells people, he didn't sit there thinking twenty years from now I'm going to write a play. And what a lot of people don't realize is that's not the only place she. Um, you know, she taught master classes. She actually taught master classes in, in Philadelphia, which in my mind is more where they take place, which is why I don't have a set that takes place at Juilliard, which I didn't, why I didn't set it there. It was, it was a master class that she went in. On the first day, she decided that students were not up to her caliber, got on a plane and went back to Athens that day. She was supposed to teach an entire season. To me, that's where our play takes place. Not, not, <laughs> I use that for whenever anyone says the master classes weren't really like that. But it's, it's an, an, an invention of Terence's, and that's the most important thing. George, you had a similar uh, situation in one respect in that you helped to create this play, this wonderful thing. It's an invention of. How many of you, you? You worked it all up together. Yeah, you, I mean, it was, it, was, it was like a big giant factory. Uh, the, the poet Reggie Gaines was off in one corner working. Savion 
was off making incredible noise, and so therefore the piece is aptly titled. Uh, and, and, and all the dancers were, were, were working, and then there was a dramaturgical team that was off doing research, and then the composers were off, and it was all in one big giant room. We're in various rooms at the, at the theater downtown. So, and so it was, I, I think, having, having the job which I have at the public, where I, I'm supposed to be in command all the time, which of course I'm not, but I'm supposed to be in command all the time, it is, the creative process has become very important because it's a place where I cannot know what I'm doing and discover it in the moment. And so, so that therefore this, this whole situation was crafted along the principle that if you have artists of extraordinary caliber in the room, you can just sort of surrender and allow the moment to, to reveal itself so that therefore I had certain sort of conceptual and intellectual ideas that, that were in the back of my head, but I would uh, throw something at Savion and say, I want to do something about this. Or I would look at, like, I, I, a couple of the moments I dreamed. Um, I, um, I, I knew I wanted to explore sort of the migration from the south uh, up into the north, and I had this dream about one of the guys who, 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 was, who played the buckets was, tapped at, was, was hitting drumsticks on the bottom of Savion's feet. And so I came and I asked them if they had ever done them. They said, oh, yo, in Eastern Europe, we did that one place or something, because they tour all around the world. So then I said, well, what if we rig up a structure, a bar that you can suspend yourself from, so therefore you can hold yourself in air, so therefore when he, when he hits your feet, you can, the, the, you, you can stay there longer so we can create a longer sound. And so I had the stage manager rig up something which allowed for two people. Then I saw it and said, well, what if we add in stairs and add in four, four more people? And then I went, oh, this is the industrial component of the show, the, 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 the moving from a, a rural rhythm into an urban rhythm. So it was like there were always little signals mm -hmm. that happened in the room. The, the, the smartest thing that ever happened to me as a director a long time ago, I was working on a, pro a project in college. And it was something that I had written, and I was having a fight with the composer about what it should be. And the cast was over there making noise, yelling and screaming. And I was going, quiet, please. And I was over talking with him and arguing with him. And they kept on making noise. I said, quiet, please. And then I just point where I got ready to yell and scream at them. I listened, and they were playing around with the moment and had solved it. Huh? and horsing around so that therefore I think that the rehearsal room if you can create the right atmosphere is sort of like this magic place where where the seeds of what you're looking for are happening in some corner if you're available to it but now and it's the opposite of what you then do when you're confronted with something like the tempest where here was a famous celebrated sacred work and but you're also you must have dreamed some of that too, I think. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing which is what uh, this one thing, thing which is what I was thinking about so much was that once upon a time, this you know this guy named Bill Shakespeare didn't go. I'm going to write a classic that's going to transform the you know and and, and, and that everyone's going to discuss as being this great work. There was some, as as with any writer, as with any creative person, there's an urgency inside of them that says, you know, as you were just telling your story about Terrence, I have to write this play right now. So once upon a time, Shakespeare went, I have to write this right now. So, so, so I just, so in the rehearsal room, a, a lot of time was spent trying to find where that urgency lived in the work. You know, so, so that therefore if you can tap into that and it, so it feels like you're doing a play as opposed to a sacred work, then it frees you to be creative and then it frees everybody else in the room to be creative. You have to honor you know the language and the way it works and 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 the sound of it but at the same time a human being wrote this thing which means those passions and those drives that compel all of us to create were inside of William Shakespeare once upon a time he wasn't always William Shakespeare he was some you know writer actor in person. fact if you look at the folio it's great because uh, it's like a real working person in exactly the sometimes it says enter and instead of the character's name he puts the actor who's played it you know mm -hmm. and uh, uh, it, 
I think now one of the problems is, um, unless you're lucky enough to be in your situation, or maybe with the places where Terrence was, the, the, the paucity of production puts such emphasis that people get so involved in rewriting as opposed to just gr grinding it out, which uh, I'm absolutely certain Shakespeare did, for mm -hmm. example. Exactly. I mean, you know, uh, as they said, the famous thing, he never blotted out a line. And Ben Johnson said he wished he'd blotted out a thousand, but Ben Johnson <laughs> baloney. I'm never yeah. you know. And uh, this, uh, when um, Ingmar Bergman was doing his great films, he did, wrote and directed two of those films each year, plus directing three productions at, uh, in, at the Royal Demand. Academy in uh, Stockholm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and that kind of thing, it's as if people gamble all the time. Then they have dreams, you know? Mm -hmm. They dream about exactly. the, the game, and it's just so much part of their lives that it's anything, it's just natural, you know? Whereas if, if you have the situation, which unfortunately many of us have, where years go by between productions, you get so uptight sometimes, and you want to weigh everything, and you try, you know, it's just better to just do it. That happened with film, too. I mean, MGM, the golden years, yes, when right. they were just production That's line, right. one film after another, and those go That's down right. now is That's right. sacred. And people thought of it as a factory, but it's a factory in a good sense. Yes. A factory ought not to be an awful word. You used the word factory. That was great. Andy Warhol is an artist. Mm -hmm. He was famous for having a factory. It was a good factory, not yeah. a bad factory. But then there's so TV, which is a bad factory. You should be proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, but factories have, have always, I mean, whether it's Moliere or Shakespeare or anybody else, I mean, or the public. I mean, no. these things are, are doing a lot of work. And out of that, Dickens, it's going to be gold. You know, you know? had to write every, he didn't know, every week there, it had to be come out in, in serial form. And so, uh, you know, all these masterpieces were coming out because he had to do the product. Okay. Well, uh, Michael, let's uh, go on about, we're talking about uh, sort of an evolution, and, and I think that's what you were saying, George, a little bit of evolutionary work rather than something scripted. And obviously, uh, Rent is uh, an evolutionary work, isn't it, as well as scripted, and of course, as I asked before we, we started, that the last time you saw Bohème was in Helsinki. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but tell us a little bit about the evolution of that and how, uh, how that sure. sounds similar to Bring in the Noise. Um, in, in, in many ways, it, it is. Um, I actually very intentionally haven't seen Bohème since I started working on Rent. I was sort of uh, designated the person to make sure that people who had no knowledge or interest in La Bohème would have interest and knowledge of Rent. Mm. Um, so that's how uh, Jonathan Larson and I sort of divided ourselves on that line. But um, it, it as, as you describe it as an evolutionary work, um, it has been in workshop and development at least very pragmatically since early 1994. And before that, before I was involved in it, um, Jonathan Larson was working with uh, some other collaborators, uh, brought the piece to Jim Nicola at the New York City Workshop, and uh, I think when Jim knew uh, that this piece had won the Richard Rogers Award and he therefore had some money to do this workshop, uh, it, it entered into a new phase uh, with me and some other collaborators. And then after the workshop, late in 94, we brought in a dramaturg, Lynn Thompson, who continued working with Jonathan while I was in California. And they would, we would get together periodically, me and Jim Nicola and Lynn and Jonathan. Uh, to assess progress. And uh, I think that um, Rent's success uh, should be a wonderful advertisement for 
development for grantsmanship um, for the Richard Rogers Award specifically. Um, and, uh, and let everyone know that these pieces don't come out of, in this case, heads full formed, but go through a very lengthy mm -hmm. and difficult and fruitful and exhausting process with a lot of collaborators. And, and I think Jim Nicola deserves so much credit for being the kind of producer that um, we all dream about. So you're almost the director is almost the playwright in this case as well, or well, in both uh, cases to a degree. As the director, certainly I had a part in how we would tell the story. I, I, I think that Jonathan is the writer of this piece, um, but I think that he had uh, great help from Lynn Thompson, his dramaturg, Jim Nicola, his producer, Tim Weil, his musical director, and me. And over a long amount of time, and, and I think that that is very common. I, that's the real work process, and I think we all find great joy in that. And unfortunately, or strangely, uh, that process isn't discussed a lot, because we like stars, <coughs> and we like individuals, and we don't, I don't think we work that way. I think we all work collaboratively and over time, and, and uh, you know, things well, bang together I, in great ways. I just want to ask one question. Were you able to get a commitment from the four or five of you over all this period, this long period of uh -huh. time? And that How did you do a, that? Well, I think that had a lot to do with who we all were at the time we were making that commitment mm -hmm. um, and our belief in the material. Because I think so often one hears that. that you wanted to do this, but it didn't come through at that time, and so the project was dropped and somebody went off to do something else. and. And then it changed. Yes, and, but you make all sort of life choices. I turned down a lot of work to do rent, and Jim turned down a lot of productions to do rent. And Jonathan was real happy because someone was doing his work. And similarly, Lynn turned down a lot of work. Mm -hmm. So yeah, people turn down work. And a lot of times, as you say, something doesn't happen and someone walks off. Well, this was a group of people that believed in something and stuck it out. And I think that's. Mm -hmm what it's about. No, I, think it also helps, like, I think it also helps if you <laughs> like the people that you're working Absolutely. with a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, you know, it's, it's, it's marriage. It's, you know, and, and it will at one point will get ugly and tense. And if you have a foundation of affection <laughs> and respect, then you can survive those rough moments. And if you don't, then it's, I'll never work with you again and you storm out of the room. But I think <laughs> if there's a foundation of, of respect and love, then I think you can survive. Mm -hmm. You know, Mary, the, t tell us about Cowgirls and how, 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 how did that get put together and, and uh, made well, shapely? As I mean, is. as everyone's talking, the, the, the collaborative spirit of it is, uh, I mean, it started out uh, in my head as a, a one, it started as a bad one-woman show, and I didn't like the idea of being alone. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, little by little, when, in a funny way, you know when the idea that finally hits you, you go, that's it, and I have to do this, much like what you're... Um, uh, I, I wanted to write a, a country-western musical, and I, and just country-western music, I just said, well, that'll get boring in a hurry, and I was trying to think of a, of a hook. And a friend of mine said, well, what about your own background? You know, you were a classical musician in Kansas. And I went, yeah, um, oh, me. Wait, you know, and then, then they just went, oh, a classical trio mistakenly booked in a country western bar, and from there's only there's only a couple things that can happen, you know, it works or it doesn't. It works or it doesn't. They figure it out or they don't. And then that, but and that, that was so like uh, six years ago, you know, and then it, it's almost uh, 
you almost get this pit bull mentality about it. It's like, I, I will complete this, I will see this through, and I don't care how I do it and what I, you know, how many law firms I have to work in in the meantime, how many, you know. Uh, and then you, uh, you find a collaborator and maybe they don't like collaborating, so then, they have, then you have to sort of separate that and then you start over. And, and after a, maybe a bad experience like that, you're going, I'm never collaborating again. And then you go, no, I'm going to try again, I'm going to try again. And then I find Betsy and you find someone with a similar sensibility and a s sense of humor and, you know, and you realize by yourself you might ruin a perfectly good idea and you need help. You right. need help. And with someone else, you at least have one other person who thinks it's funny. <laughs> how did, how did, you, how did you, know. you two meet and how did that go together? Uh, we were introduced because she was looking for a book writer. So we were introduced because of the project. Yeah. Well, yeah, but how did that, uh, who introduced you and how did that, uh, how did that networking go on? I was working at uh, West Beth Theater and uh, it was someone that was working on a production there so who had been working with Mary on getting a reading of Cowgirls Up and Running. Right. And, uh, a reading of was, my bad book. <laughs> right. <laughs> and she she uh, knew I was a playwright and suggested that we meet. and. I gave her a copy of something I'd written, and she never read it, and then we met, and she decided to go anyway. And that's when I met her. I knew it's more of a, as you said, a marriage or yeah. something. You know, I met her, and I, we said, where are you from? And she said, <laughs> Michigan. And I said, Kansas. <laughs> we thought that you know, was really funny. <laughs> Nobody else knew the word with But we knew, I knew this meant this part this of Michigan, Michigan, and I know this is Kansas. So, so. Every time we tell that story, nobody Everybody laughs. goes, uh -huh. yeah. And then, <laughs> so then why did you work together? <laughs> but it was that sort of, it was that sort of, sort of thing. And, and uh, I, I, as you were, you were talking about Terrence, uh, sometimes I think, I wonder if there is more collaboration in a musical yeah. as opposed to a play. Um, do you think that's true? No, I, I, I think there definitely is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Probably speak to that more people involved, more. I mean, for it's, one it's thing. All, yeah. There are so many people involved, I mean, in the musicals that I've done. I mean, there's so many people involved that there has to be one person. Pull it, pulling it all together. I mean, it's a really complicated marriage. I know. It's actually it's the <laughs> it's first sort of like a, a group, group, and group marriage. Sort of thing, isn't it? It's very the, morbid. The first time I did a musical, I, Sorry. I found it hard that there was there were actually other people who thought they could make decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a musical director that actually wanted to have input and a choreographer and all of that, and it's 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 a whole different different mm -hmm. mindset. And since then, it's it's wonderful. Like you say, it's it's so exciting to hear you talk about that story about all that creative energy happening in the room. Once you get used to that, because I did plays for so mm -hmm. long, it's the fact that, 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 that there is that kind of creative input happening all over the place. Once you get used to it right. and you realize mm -hmm. what it is... Embrace it. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's thrilling. That was, happened a lot with Cowgirls, too, was, though. With, yeah, the it musicians. It was instrumental, actually. Instrumental. Because everyone plays something in the show, and, and the show, in, in one regard, really evolved around who could play what. And uh, <coughs> that was one of the major... And who got pregnant. <laughs> one of the characters got pregnant right before the first. One of the actors got pregnant right before the first production, and suddenly the character went from having a seven-year-old son to being pregnant, and now it's still pregnant. So, like, there's a lot of stuff that sort of dictates it that mm -hmm. doesn't seem like it should feed it, mm -hmm. but it does. So yeah. it's part evolutionary as well. Exactly. Oh yeah. <laughs> but she'll not be pregnant for years. Yeah. <laughs> Is this a marriage now, or? Uh, well, I think I think you have. It's it's each play is almost 
a lifetime of its own or a child or something. So you're married while that child is, mm -hmm. is being born, and, and it works for that project. And, you know, you, whatever comes up next, you go, okay, is that the right mother or father for this child? And, you, and I think that's how you have to look at each, mm -hmm. at each project. I also think there are certain muscles that you, it's like going to some sort of created gym, and, mm -hmm. you, and in certain collaborations you exercise certain muscles, and then at the end of that project you feel the need to exercise different kinds of muscles. Right. Right. So therefore you search out or you attract a, a whole different group of people to work with, not, be, and not because you don't want to work with those people anymore, but you, but you want to see how your arm works, because now you've worked up this arm, mm -hmm. you know, so that therefore after noise funk, I want to do a drawing room comedy maybe. I don't right. know. But it's just, just so, so that therefore I keep all of my being as toned as I possibly can. Bring in the tea. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 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 I think I've, I, I think I've got something there. I'm going to write it for as long as I can. Right, now, how do you put that down on paper? How do you put this, which is evolving as you're all working on it? How and when does it get put down on paper for someone else to do it? Well, as we as as we go along, it's. I mean, it's. It's, it, 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 was, it, it was a very interesting process because I've never, I've always, I, I've worked with collaborators. I've, I've never worked on a project where the primary collaborator was a choreographer. Mm -hmm. So it was, so it's, it's, it's been a really fascinating, and, and a choreographer who is sort of inventing a new dance form that kind of looks like tap dancing, but it's something incredibly bizarre and intense and wonderful. So, and, and, but it's his language. So, so the, the whole show is scripted and in, in its current form. As soon as we, we were in uh, previews to the Puppet, we went through and scripted it. But in terms of scripting this language that Savion has crafted, I mean, I'm not quite sure how to do it. I know there's dance notations, but uh, maybe that will enter in at one point. Uh, but we'll see. I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 it's a rare project because when, when we got together, it's like, okay, you know, it's like a very Mickey and Judy thing. Let's go into this room and put on this show. And then you know, this thing happened with audiences and critics and all this sort of stuff. So it's like, <coughs> oh, okay. So and, 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 and in a strange way, it was the first project we ever, I ever went to and working on where there was absolutely not one thought process about a future life at all. Mm -hmm. It was just about being in the room and enjoying Because Savian, ever since I met, I met him when he was like about 17 or 18, I wanted to work with him. And, and, and it brought into a room various people who I worked with on other projects before. So there was this shorthand. So there was an instant shorthand. So you weren't going A, B, C, D. Everybody sort of knew the, the, knew the alphabet already. So everything sort of escalated in a very quick way. But in terms of future productions and separate productions, I don't know. I, I that's don't, ideal. It, it's totally <laughs> ideal. But I mean, so much of this is, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's an interesting yeah. question. And so I don't know. Did you edit the form? Do you shape ultimately the form, like where you're going to stop Act One and how you're going to start Part Two? And um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it was. I mean, every day. I mean, we had these file cards. And they were on the board, and it was sort of like our project for today is the twenty. So we're doing, <laughs> we were doing the twenty, so that the Reggie would be off. And and I would just say to Savan, I mean, I you know, I would to talk to to, to Reggie about w w what I wanted him to to work on writing wise, and he'd go off, and and the dramaturgy would supply a whole bunch of research. But then I talk to Savan and say, you know, you know, I, I would describe so, so much was very fascinating. Every day we would sit around a table and talk. They would talk about their world, which is 1990s, and I would talk about history, mm -hmm. and and various movements because there was there was certain information which they didn't have, 
so uh, so I was so I so I would talk about the twenties and just how there was this sort of drunken euphoria after World War One that then crashed in the early thirties. So I would say, Savior, I don't want you to craft a you know a Charleston that that is that that is mad and that feels like at the end of the Charleston the entire world is going to end. You know, and so you go, okay, and he go up and started doing it because, and then he would just start and go, is this mad enough, is this intense enough, is this raw enough, and, and would just go to that place. And then I would add a certain shape to it, but it was because it was so much happening in the room, and then the words would come in, then we'd throw it in, and what about this, what about this, so that it was, it was, it was an extraordinary way of working because everything was informing everything in the moment. Yeah. It was wonderful. What you but, wanted me to decide to uh, do was to have the woman representing really, <laughs> we were talking then yesterday, as humanity, as, 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 uh, the, as the seat of the emotion on her level, the, the language of song. Meanwhile, the technique of tap dancing is, is, is so skilled, but also has to be highly mechanical in, in, in its execution. Mm -hmm. So she kept pouring mm -hmm. the emotion from decade to decade. It was, it, it was also really valuable that it also was really valuable that she is an older woman, because they are very young men, <laughs> and, and it was and, and it, that was a really nice, Perfect. very powerful. I mean, just in terms of in the rehearsal room, in the rehearsal room, because there was. And and as as you as you met, I know she was on yesterday. Is yes. is not a human being. She's a force of nature. And these young guys, when you're 19, 21, and 22, you are a force of nature. So it was just so that they they, could, they it was nice to have two forces of nature who could cancel each other out a little bit. Was that your well, idea to have an end there? Well, I, you know, I when I was talking to Savior, I knew I wanted uh, a very strong female presence and uh, the. The Boys Tap Club is is very so a Boys Tap Club, and and we spend a lot of time trying to invade it, and so that invasion will take place on another project. But on this one, it was very much so that. So I wanted to have a very strong, forceful female energy just in the room, and and also I've worked with Anne on, on on Jelly that she she has this incredible ability to. Uh, to, I call it channeling. I mean, she, she, her, her vocal stylizations can, she could take on any sort of form. So it was, it was, it was, it was really valuable. It was a very healthy energy to have a very, very strong mm -hmm. female presence in the room. Tom, how does this sound to you? How do you work? Well, oh, it, it's, it's very different. That's a very special, yeah. um, unique, almost kind of experience. I think what he's talking about, and uh, you know, when you talk about going to different collaborators that. That's that's very enticing in a way. I mean, you know, uh, like going Harvey to different marriages. Uh, Harvey and I have been partners for forty-five years. Great marriage. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Yes, yeah. and uh, it's certainly tempting to think about straying a little bit. Harvey, <laughs> 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 if you're watching this, I'm only kidding. <laughs> I know. Uh, oh, the only time I did and have is with. Uh, Jack Offenbach, and uh, that seemed safe, you know. <laughs> but um, no, our process is 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 different. I mean, um, certainly in terms of working with a, a channeling director. When we did "I Do, I Do," for example, with, with Gower Champion originally, um, there was no question that with all the different forces, even in that case with Mary Martin and Robert Preston and a lot of sort of high-powered egos and energies that uh, Gower was to be the center and um, to make those decisions more than in any other project we've ever worked with. And that was 
we were very happy with that, and he helped shape it in the way that you're talking about. I mean, what I was going to ask a minute ago, for example, is who decides whether there are two acts or three acts, or, or when the act break comes. Those are really, mm -hmm, to me, mm -hmm, playwriting mm -hmm, decisions, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. in this instance, they become like directing uh, Exactly, decisions. exactly. Yeah. I have a question for, for you on, um, in our project, it's specific in that both the writers are in the show and you have to hand over a lot of uh, creative power to your director. Eleanor Risa directed our piece, and I, I don't think she ever told us exactly how that must have felt having two authors on stage and trying to direct them and have creative uh, discussions, mm -hmm. arguments, whatever. How was that for, for you? Did, was that ever a problem? or? Probably in terms of of saying I think it should be this, and then Savion saying, "Well, I don't." Or uh, uh, I mean, was it hard? Was it hard to do that? No, or? no, because I think there there's a there's a, a I mean there was a, there was an incredibly intimate level of trust that exi that that exists, and and uh, and 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 occasionally if there was something, I would go no. I would, no, no, we're not doing that. Uh -huh. no, that's not. No, uh -huh. we're not doing that. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, there, you know. And, but but that was very 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 rare. Mm -hmm. And I because, and also because I think I mean I think there are two styles of directing. I mean, there are two. There are eighty million styles, but I think there's two fundamental styles of directing, where I think you can stand where you are and demand that everybody meet you, or you can go to where everybody is and seduce, charm, threaten do every single thing you possibly can to rule them in your direction. Yeah. And I think the latter I prefer working because ultimately it, people invest another level of passion sure. in the work that they're doing so that therefore as, as much of a control freak as I am in, in the rehearsal room and in life, uh, uh, I, I value very intensely the, the, you know, the, the heart mm -hmm. and the intelligence of the people that I'm working with and so if you're very severe, they don't give you that. Mm -hmm. They don't share that in the room. They protect mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So if you earn it like this, then they become very rigid about sure. that. But if you, if you, and particularly with the, with the guys in the show, there were, there were these various components of, 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 of running the room at the same time creating an energy so you, they feel like you're one of them and at mm -hmm. the same time letting you, you know that in a moment's notice you are not one of them. Mm -hmm. So it was just kind of like parenting in some yeah. strange yeah. But way. But it sounds like you were, from the very beginning, a, a, a very intrinsic part of the stru structure development, which is slightly different from the experience we had where yeah. we came with Exactly, something gave it to a director, right. yeah. Right. So you're <coughs> sort of one of, you're not sort of, you are one of the creators. Yeah. How did so. you work with your director? I mean, how, would, how did that work? Did you feel that? through collaboration or was the, uh, did the director work with you or impose herself? Both. Both. And I probably <laughs> did the same thing. You know, I mean, it's a long process yeah. and, and everything happens at one time or another. Well, and the thing is, it, structurally she helped a, a lot, at, you know, the, fir the yeah. first thing. And, but what's odd is, is to uh, not be able to see or hear your own work from where the audience is. Uh, and I, yeah. I don't wow. think I can do that again. Yeah. <laughs> no, especially music. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very odd to have to hire people, uh, a musical director, somebody to, to be your ears and your eyes. It's a very mm -hmm. odd. Uh, I think you're, you're, you're talking about disciplines here. And, and uh, one is the conventional discipline of, of, of yours, in a sense, and, and, and yours, Tom. 
and the other is the inner disciplines that mm. you have uh, with you with rent and uh, with bringing the noise. Uh, what you're both going for is to bring out the, the magic that's that's in there, but you're going in different ways. I think yours is, is, is very structural. Um, I, right. As a director, you you are you very disciplined with your people. Or? Well, I think every situation is wildly different. Let's you know, take I mean, masterclass. With masterclass, um, disciplined with who? Terence, you mean? That's the ultimate. Who might you be mentioning? Yeah. Um, but you know that it's speaking. Yes, because it's going picking up on what Isabel said. Going further, well, you mentioned Terence, but you. I mean, this is you have collaborated with him before. I mean, this is... But even so, how do you deal with the playwright? So you have a, a, a back log of yeah. experience with him that you can either... Right. I mean, there, 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 is, there, there is a history with Terrence, and, you know, I've been through it as being, being an assistant on, on productions and watching him go through the process. But, but this was being written while we were there, so mm -hmm. there was a little bit of... Um, you know, and then there was the decision. I mean, probably my greatest influence with the production was um, the decision not to have it be a play happening separate from the audience. Is that it, I, I very much wanted to make it into an experience. I wanted people to walk in, feel like they were attending a master class, almost not know what's happening. These people are talking to us. The lights are up. How long is he going to leave these house lights up? You know, and I wanted to, you know, like see, you know, and I said, you know, Terrence did give a lot of leeway with all of that. And I said, I just want to see how we'll, we'll, we'll change the lines. Let's see how long. I want them to be up just long enough for people what to think. What was his attitude towards that? He's, Terrence is an extraordinary collaborator. He so unusual it. in the playwright. <clears throat> well, it's it, maybe it's unusual. I mean, I'm in an experience right now that's almost like a test case in working with playwrights because I'm working with three different playwrights on By the Sea, By the Sea, By the Beautiful Sea, which we're getting ready to do at Manhattan Theatre Club. But when we workshop, not workshop, did our first production last summer at the Bay Street Theatre Festival, it was extraordinary in that, you know how you always create an atmosphere in the room, you, you know, you just, they, and you work very hard, and, and you create an atmosphere and freedom, and, and a certain mood just pervades the room. Well, what do you do when at lunch the playwright changes? Ooh. You know, and it's, <laughs> you take a lunch break, and you're on to a new play, and you're on to a new playwright, and they were all wildly different, mm -hmm. you know, and it's so, it was, um, and so this was really a test case, and three people that worked very, very differently. I had worked with Terrence before, so there was a little bit of a shorthand there. Lanford Wilson, who I'd never worked with before, and I'm saying this now, I'm not even sure if it's true, but I, I think I might be the first person to direct a premiere of one of his plays other than Marshall Mason in probably 20 years. I don't know. There may be something else, but it's... So he was all of a sudden in the room with, you know, someone I had, I had known. So, and it, at lunch, it would change. It would change. So that, it, the situation right now is, is, is just a, such a test case in how wildly different it is because they all have very different needs as far as being part of the process. Um, it's, you know, I, I, got to, I got to a stage in, in, the, in the middle of rehearsal when you start getting things up on your feet where you like really kind of like to get the playwright out of the room for just a while. And, and I turned, you know, I, I talked to them all and I got to Lanford and said, you know, if you don't want to, you know, you don't, you don't have to come by for the next couple of days. And he said, I've never not been in a rehearsal. <laughs> he was in every second, every moment. But that became what Lanford's play was. And then we just get used to him, just sort of like, 
you know, being in the chair. He was always there. It didn't bother you. Well, um, it was just, it just the, the way it was going to be, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you just, I, I don't think you can set up such strict rules as, at this point, the playwright leaves. You can't do that. Also, because I don't know what his creative instincts were. And it, it was interesting, even when we were staging and doing things, he would, he would get ideas. Um, Terrence likes the distance. He likes to, you know, he likes to leave and come back and see it fresh. Um, and so, so it's always wildly different. So the, the situation with, you know, you're collaborating with, uh, with master classes is that that was the whole idea of making that into an experience. Terrence was very open to because his initial thought was, you know, master classes are in, uh, inherently theatrical. And so what could I do to make this into an experience? Like, you've created an experience, you know? Like, you know, it's a, and that's, that's what I wanted to do, something that was wildly different from anything anyone had, had seen before. And I, I sort of felt like we sort of semi-achieved it when we were in Washington, and I was standing in back of the theater, and, and this, about 15 minutes into this play, this woman in the last row turned to her friend and said, that woman is being too hard on those young people. <laughs> and I thought, okay, okay, okay. So I thought, okay, they're, 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 um, they're experiencing this. The decision to go into big production, to, to go into the La Scala thing, is that in the directing decision or writing decision, combination decision? The, the, suddenly um, the, the, the whole closing of the first act was... Was was my idea. It, it was at, at the end of the. Um, it, it's sort of you know when things actually evolve over time, you actually wonder who really exactly. came up with it. Yeah, right. But my memory of it, Terrence, is. Um, <laughs> I did it all. <laughs> I did it all. Everything you liked, I did. <laughs> no. um, it was he had given me the, the first act to read in his apartment. You know, here, read this. You know, um, and it was the character was talking about. Um, what it was like to be on the stage with La Scala. And he hadn't written the second act, and I said to him, Terrence, I have no idea where you're going with the second act of this. I said, but all of a sudden, I, I, I said, I want to see it from her point of view. So he put it initially in the second act, that we would see something there, and then it seemed, and then I, I moved it back to the, to the first act. And that was, that was a, I tell you, that was a huge selling That's point. That's a big as structural as, decision. That really, uh, yeah. yeah, and we just moved it, and it was, you know, even, you know, it was all something that was in my head, and, I, you know, quite frankly, I had to sell it, you know, to the mm -hmm. producers, you know. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Michael, uh, tell me about Rent and how you worked in the same area. Yeah, because this is... Oh, also, Faust, I'm interested <laughs> also in hearing about if I may in interject, I, I mean, I really okay. want to know uh, what what's happening with Faust. It, it, we're doing no red. Red is already like it's already so smashed. We're doing Faust again at the Goodman in the fall, mm. in late fall. Um, and, and as Lenny said, every collaboration with every creative person is different, mm -hmm. and and they dictate uh, but their personality. But isn't this the most dictates. unusual kind of undertaking? Or in play terms of. Or in terms of rent, you yeah. mean? Well, uh, certainly what is extraordinary and extraordinarily tragic about rent is at a certain point when a collaboration usually becomes its closest, um, Jonathan Larson died. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were left in a most uh, remarkable and singular place. Um, but because of the many years of working on rent together, I, I certainly felt and still feel that the people who remained to continue working on the musical knew Jonathan's mind and intentions and heart very much. 
Um, and uh, the whole preview period uh, down at the New York Theater Workshop was uh, especially wrought. Preview periods always are. Um, luckily, uh, Jonathan uh, was a very communicative fellow and wrote a lot and spoke a lot, and so we had a sense of what he believed and what he wanted. And also, we were able to prevail upon him to make many, many, many changes in our rehearsal period. Like every, every two weeks, we would essentially have a big run in order to enable Jonathan to refine and reshape. I mean, generally, I would you know, orchestrate these in Machiavellian fashions in order to get him to do what I believed we should do. Um, and so we had a very good foundation of where we could go. What did you do when you were in front of an audience and you saw that something you know, and the audience tells you and something isn't working and now he's not there. It, it, I don't know how mm -hmm. much process you went through, but what, what did you do? I mean, it was, um, well, the first couple of performances that we had, the first couple of previews were um, attended largely by family and friends of Jonathan's. And the response, as you could imagine, was overwhelming and the outpouring was extraordinary. And then, three days later, <coughs> the New York Theatre Workshop subscribers showed up. Mm -hmm. And then they told us a lot of different things than the family and friends were how, telling us. How much happened from that point on? I mean, would you consider it major reworking? These are difficult terms. Yeah. Um, we cut about eight minutes. We reshaped some things. We moved some songs around. We reintroduced a narrative element that we had employed in the workshop that Jonathan wanted <laughs> to drop in the production um, that I firmly believe he would have endorsed reintroducing after he'd seen it in front of an audience because there was still some narrative information that was hanging us up and people couldn't fully enter in because they didn't understand some things and now we essentially have a character who tells them mm -hmm. ABC and then we go off like a shot. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, I, some people would think that's a lot and it's uh, substantial. Yeah, yeah and in other cases it seems very very minor because so much of the um, the heart and soul are intact right. and, and and, and, we, and we had already arrived in a very solid foundation right, before his right. death. Um, How about Faust, too? I mean, we're going to where that's going, because I pick up on what Tom was saying. Yeah. Um, where you're going with that. I'm going to stay with Rick. All right, well, okay. Um, so. <laughs> Sorry. And, and I only like attempted to make macabre jokes about Randy, so it's good. Um, um, uh, a little about Faust, and then. Right. Faust is, it's, it, it was quite a different process. Well, that's why. I um, of course, because Randy is in quite a different place professionally than Jonathan Larson was mm -hmm. okay. when we were working on Rent, and those things matter, and the ways in which you collaborate are changed. Certainly, in the course of working on Faust together, especially through previews at the La Jolla Playhouse, <laughs> Randy and I became very close and real, you know, buddies, and you know, scrapped in a wonderful, easy way that collaborators need to. But certainly when we began the process, here was the material, and here was me, and it, it evolved in a very different way than what happened when, you know, Jonathan was asking me to direct his play, and then, then when I was very happy that Randy was allowing me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and that, it was quite different, but you sort of end in the same place, I'm happy mm -hmm. to say. And I think that the fact that we've done that before will really change the dynamic. Mm -hmm 
between us next time, and that's great. Also, rent in the middle is going to change the dynamic inevitably. It just yes. it's, it's inevitable. Yes, that is true, and that's power happened. goes and where power mm-hmm. is, and mm-hmm. it's always and changing yeah, and sliding in and out. Mm-hmm. And there are some Absolutely. there are some artists who 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 have called me about working on their work, and uh, who some composers who are rather famous, and I was gone. I have meetings and friendly and fabulous and wonderful, and I go, this will never mm. work. This will never work. What I bring into the room and what the person brings into the room, that's, that's never going to happen. So you just go, it's brilliant, it's wonderful, you're brilliant, you're wonderful. I can't do this because, it's you know, well, we, I, we'll end up with our hands around each other's necks, and we shouldn't do that because it's about the art. It's not about, I mean, because, I mean, because it, it, it is a very interesting thing when when you can work and when reverence, I mean, I think reverence is an incredibly unhealthy thing in, in, in the room when you're working. Because, I mean, theater, you, you, it, in, in, in order to create something beautiful, you have to get dirty. Mm-hmm. And, and, if, and if you have to revere someone, it's very difficult to get dirty and messy and sloppy. And messy and sloppy is essential if it's ever going to become clean. I think respect is the only thing that exactly. matters. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else can fall away if the respect, respect stays. There. Other exactly. things will come back and exactly. go. And come, but, but, the, but, but, but awe and reverence is... It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. I mean, it's, some systems allow for it. I mean, opera seems to flourish in that sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> but theater, I don't think can. It's funny. He used to do shows for David Merrick, and David Merrick's theory was the opposite of what we're all talking about, which is he hated to see a happy company. It was a deliberate decision on his part, and if he, saw, if he had a company that was happy, he would do things to try to make it unhappy. Wow. Because his feeling was, well, all of you people love each other, but you're not the New York Times. And when they come in, I want everybody questioning everything. I want everybody and everybody, you know. And plus, which, of course, I guess it was sort of his na- nature anyway. But, well, Why? But but what, what? He wanted to go the public in the same way. He wanted to exacerbate everybody. Uh, if that's right. And he certainly did the critics. He, did, he made fun of them. He made fun sort of, of everybody. keeping everybody on their toes. That part was good, making fun of the critics. That was that part. Open season. Open season. Did he do that to the cre- Did he do that to to you as well, or was it mostly to actors? Oh, and, no, no, to, no, to no, every, everybody. No one was safe. Nobody was safe. Really? Maybe Mary Martin. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. When, when her, you know, when the wind was blowing north northwest. Well, <laughs> How much are you uh, changing? If. Um, we've, we've made uh, a, a few small changes. Um, and that's your decision on this now? Uh, uh, again, with collaboration um, from Lynn Thompson, the dramaturg, mm-hmm. uh, still, I, I still uh, really seek out Jim Nicola's opinion. Should we get back to dramaturg and say, what is a dramaturg? Um, I can start, and then try, someone yes, will have to it's help me. To um, a, a dramaturg, I think, in the American system, which is slightly different than the European system, um, generally works with uh, a, a, a writer creating a piece for the first time um, and helps to uh, shape and focus the material um, with uh, lots of discussion from the director. It's essentially um, someone who it's an enabler. Enables a director and especially a playwright to to focus and clarify what 
the writer wants to do. Certainly at the O'Neill you have a much better definition than that. Well, we, we ask this all, all the time because it is become one of the questions that's asked in right. the seminars, and also because for so many years there was not a dramaturg here in America. It's It's and been an evolutionary process of coming uh -huh. up with almost an, oh, I know we've done that at the O'Neill. Uh, Is it uh, absolutely uh, necessary? Depends on the process, depends the on project, the yeah. dramaturg. Mm -hmm. Some dramaturgs are necessary and some mm -hmm. aren't. <laughs> there is, uh, there, I must say, I think I've said this before at one of the seminars, but Edith Oliver, uh, mm -hmm. wants to find, because she's a wonderful dramaturg, and wants to find a dramaturg like the old-fashioned washing machine that had a crank on the side. And mm -hmm. she said, I am the crank on the side. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is. It's, a, it's an ombudsman between the two. In her Who mind. pays the dramaturg? Um, in, in, um, uh, at at the Who's Regional Theatre of the La Jolla Playhouse that, that I'm now the artistic director of, our dramaturg is uh, an important part of the artistic staff, and part of the executive artistic salaries uh, go to the dramaturg. Mm -hmm. That's in a, in a non-profit situation, and I think that uh, the majority of respectable non-profit theaters in the country have dramaturgs mm -hmm. on do, staff. Do they have the same dramaturg for musical if they do one as for a play and, and mm. assuming that depends, that are, it depends that on the theater and depends on the project. Can I interrupt um, this just yeah. now because it's time to take a break and we'll go okay. back to this because I think it's very important and I, I'm sorry that I have to do this but I'd like to know more about it. So everybody, break time, stand up, stretch and come right back again. This is CUNY TV, Channel 75. <laughs> <laughs> We're continuing the American Theatre Wing seminars and working in the theatre. And this seminar is on the playwright and the director and the, and the choreographer and the composer and the lyricist. We've got them all here. And we're going to continue this discussion on who is working with whom and how it all comes out for the audience. So George, will you pick up where we left off in describing <laughs> some of the back? Well, I, yeah, I, I wanted to, uh, actually, I wanted to go, go into uh, something that, that uh, because we're talking about collaborative process here too and although I realize we have choreographer and, and, and directors and people to, to talk about but I want to get into the the business particularly because what I've heard about now about bringing into noise and also uh, rent um, where the director is also as almost a playwright tell me about the casting of this because casting is not like just auditioning people it's they become almost playwrights as well, and I wonder if either Michael or, or George would talk a little bit about, do you bring in people that you know, of, like <laughs> Anne, you said that you did before, uh, is the audition, quote, audition, unquote, process different in these cases, or what, what are you looking for in your, in your cases, which I think would be different than having an open call and saying, I want somebody... You know, five foot two or whatever. A little bit. Could you go into that a little bit? Uh-huh. Um, I think that the audition process for Rent was uh, very similar to any audition process really? I've, I've ever uh, been participated in. Um, in that, um, I think you look for people 
whom you feel match spiritually the characters that are created by a playwright. Um, one of the things we looked very specifically for in Rent was you know, a vibrancy and a youth and a roughness and, and, a, and a real, you know, to be real, um, a real compatibility with the life that we hoped the musical would present, which meant that we perhaps looked in other places than I've looked for for other projects. But in terms of who really excited me when they walked in the room in relation to the material, it was very similar. We, we had a, a, a terrific uh, casting director, Bernie Telsey, who's still with the project, who really, you know, scoured the streets and, you know, called a lot of different kinds of places, you know, uh, drag clubs and uh, lots of rock managers in order to get people who we felt could uh, vibrantly portray these characters. But the process was very similar mm -hmm. in that you, you want to match up parts and souls. That's interesting. Yeah. Parts and souls. That's yeah. Joy, yeah. It was un unlike anything I've ever done before because, in many respects, there, there really there really wasn't an audition. There, there was a, an audition process came late. There was there were Saban, who's 22. There was a group of dancers that he had been mentoring for 10 years. I mean, so he started as their mentor when he was 12, <laughs> and has been tra and has been training them and working with them because he ever since time he's been 12, he's been going around the country doing workshops and classes and seminars. So, so that therefore he's been sort of hand picking and selecting these people who, 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 who he feels one a, a deep emotional kinship with, but also who can dance his style of dancing. So those people came on board, and there were a couple of people that he he, he met during the course of Jelly's Last Jam. I, it was, and then there were these guys who used to play the the, the, the drums in front of Jelly's Last Jam. Mm -hmm. Well, while it was performing, and Sabian, so they became friends with Sabian, and so they he, they started touring around. So there were these various groups of people, and, and the the way the show had on a certain level, uh, there was a genesis between Sabian. I wanted to work on a project, but then at the public. Uh, last summer, we had a series of, of, of Mondays at the Delacorte Theater in Central Park, in which we would invite different cultural institutions around the city to to do entertainment on Monday on, on, a, on a Monday night when the when Shakespeare wasn't happening. And so there was this evening which in which we had Savion to do, in which it was old tap dancers, young tap dancers, all sorts of guys doing it, and it was just sort of like an entertainment. And that's why I saw some of the young dancers, and I saw some of these older dancers. It was really wonderful, and. And whereas that was more so, I don't know, for lack of better words, um, not quite a showcase, because I hate that, that phrase and the whole concept of it, but it was sort of a chance for, I, for, for me to learn this world more, because I'm, 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 it's a very specific world, and I'm no tap dancer, so I really don't know anything about the world. So, I'm, so, so to see these young guys, and they came on stage, and they were dancing with, with, with a combination of ferociousness and joy. Mm -hmm. And I just went, oh, I want those guys in the show, Saban. He said, well, I want those. So it was, it was more like adding on. And then, I, you know, Saban, I talked about the importance of a, of a female energy. Should be younger, should be older than that. And Duke and Anne, Saban. Yeah, perfect. And then there was a poet, Reggie Gaines, who's worked at, who we had talked about him doing something else at the theater. And it seemed to be a right mix because of, of the way he rhythmically does language. It seemed like he, he could be right in the room. So we, we really weren't just looking for acting if you will. We were looking for people who were going to help to shape the piece. So it was very important. Daryl Waters and Zane Marks I'd also worked with before, so they came involved in the music. So it, it was more so like 
forming some little cult, almost if you will, of who would be in the room when the work was happening. And one of the things which is really interesting and very fascinating, very challenging, is there were a certain number of people in the project who had never done a play before. So there was a whole system about being on time, showing up every day for rehearsal. <laughs> one of the guys called the rehearsal period being under house arrest <laughs> because, <laughs> because you were there all the time. So I mean, it was, um, and there were one or two people who along the way who we lost because they couldn't adjust their their sense of, of schedule and time and responsibility to what what the theater requires. So, it, I mean, and, and at the same time, you have someone like Savion and, and, and Jimmy Tate and Dulé, who's in the cast, who have been performing since, since they were nine and on Broadway. So, they're like, so you have these 22-year-old old pros mixed in with being the exact same age as some people who have never done a play before. So, it was a very interesting... I mean, it was like, you no, you can't change your costume. And Precisely. Exactly. So, so that, therefore, it was, I mean, it, 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 was, it was incredibly fulfilling. I mean, because there were, and every day we would, we would, we would stop rehearsing for anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour, just talk. Where are you? What are you thinking? Talk about your world. Let me talk about my world. Let's talk about where we are. And the difference is because there, one, I, one in, in crafting the piece, I, I, I wanted to make sure that when it came to the 90s section of the piece, that it was very much so their world and not my world, because the, the, the 1990s that I live in is very different from the 1990s that they live in. So I, I, I wanted to absorb as much information as I possibly can, but also to let them, that I'm seriously interested in who you are and what your world is, and you must be seriously interested in being on time and doing everything that is required. So it was, it was this, this very intensely, intensely, intensely personal process. Theater always is, but there was, there was another level in the room because... A different level. A very different level, and also because they are, they are brilliant, brilliantly evolved artists, but still emerging young men. And that gap, I'm sure the same thing with you, but maybe not as much so because a lot of those actors are, 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 have been working for a long time. How did you well, we, um, a lengthy casting process. Um, we had the happy um, experience that you describe of there being a really great collision of some people who had been in the business for over a decade. I mean, Anthony Rapp has been a performer for more than 10 years and had been in Precious Sons and like New Broadway and things like that. And then we have a number of people who, who also had never been in a play before and had really never gone to a play before <laughs> and had no interest in going to a play before. And I think that kind of energy and that kind of sensibility really kept us honest. How to develop trying. future audiences. Uh, absolutely. That's right. Bring them put them on a show. What do you absolutely. do about <laughs> understudies, though, when you have yeah. that? I mean, I know with Cowgirls, we had had people who could sing and play at least two musical instruments and act. And that took a couple years to just find the cast, yeah. and it took us a long time to find understudies. Who, how do you do that? We, it's, we, we've been very fortunate. I mean, it was because I mean, there's there's a very tiny network of, <laughs> of, dancers, of dancers who can hit, according to Savon. So I go, how about this dance? He can't hit. Can't hit. <laughs> can't hit. Mm -hmm. So no, can't hit. Can't hit. Can't hit. So I mean, we did, really did. I like uh, you know, it's like a nationwide yeah. search. Of tap dancers who could hit, and there were these two guys. I mean, there was this, there was this wonderful, brilliant story. I wish it had turned out where these these dancers drove nonstop from like Nebraska somewhere, got got four tickets, came in, auditioned, and we didn't cast them. If we had cast them, it would have been a wonderful story. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't work out, but, but it, it, we, we we scouted. Now we've we've added in 
four additional dancers mm -hmm. who can hit. hit. There are a couple of who they said who have the skills, but they can't hit. So mm -hmm. they've been working on teaching them how hitting. to hit. Hitting, how exactly. To hit. <laughs> how yes, to hit. Yes, hitting is something so, you can learn. It isn't something you're born with. I mean, like some dancers just... Well, as Bakari, uh, when I was asking him who's, who's in the show, who's, who's really wonderful, uh, it told me one day, he said, they have it down here. But they don't have it up here. Mm -hmm. went, oh, okay. <laughs> so, this, so this is hit. Hidden. Well, it's 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 the connection between the your 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 psychological and spiritual understanding because right. these guys I mean, are, are, of what it is connected with your being doing so what your feet require. It's it's, it's like a total. They, I mean, they are. I mean, it's a religion to yeah. them almost because they are. I mean, I, I've never been involved in a tech rehearsal. Where they're teching and they're dancing, and then we call a break, and they dance mm -hmm. on the break, and they form a circle and they dance with each other, and then the break is over, and we go back and tech, and then they dance, and then we work, and we stop and start, and we call another break, and they go into a circle and they dance. It is, mm -hmm. it is this incredibly well, intense, wonderful. Not unlike yeah. cowgirls, everyone would break yes. and then pick up another instrument. Yeah, something well, they're not playing in the show, but you know. How did you find your understudy? That's that's wild. I mean, did you Liz audition? Liz Woodman should get it. Liz Woodman, yeah, <laughs> yeah was our casting it. director, and she, not unlike you, I mean, went everywhere. Looking yeah, for it's thrilling you know, to find people from other disciplines. Oh, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. try but finding man, opera singers who can act. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you where you got this kit. Well, it was just it was it was the same thing. It was endless because mm -hmm. we needed people who with operatic voices who could act. And I was seeing people day after day who had never spoken words. You know, I have you had never spoken them, and I, I did. I talk like this. So <laughs> 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 and then have musicians a lot. We would have people come; they'd be great musicians, and you give them a script. They come, they come in. So and you just you, you find you, you look you look for that seed. You look for the possibility. Mm. Um, Jay Hunter Morris, who's the t you know tenor in the play, has never been in a play. Mm. And if you remember, if he remembers this, and about two weeks into rehearsal, he said, you know, you know, Lenny, you know, I've never been in a play. And I said, yes, I know. And he said, you know, I've never seen one. And, um, <laughs> and um, he had never seen anything where people didn't sing. But these are very, you know, talented, disciplined people. But it's entirely different Tell discipline. Your, the accompanist. Oh, and the accompanist. I mean, here you get, you know, you get a play, mm -hmm. you know, which, you know, this kind of, first of all, you have this kind of role that Zoe plays. And then you need three singers who can act in a play by Terrence and a classical pianist who can mm -hmm. act. How did you find that this, this Particular fans. Oh, did you look? Uh, da yeah. well, David David Loud is an extraordinary talent. Um, you know, he he works. He's he's, he's been he's a, such a presence on he's stage. He's such a presence. What I did was I don't know if they even realized why I did this. Is when it when it got down to it, the cup, the few guys. Once we knew that they could, you know, fulfill the demands of playing classical, you know, classical music. Is what I had them do is I had them come in to play for the last round of singers. So each one of them played for an entire day. And so, because I knew so much of it was going to be just his presence, because he just sits there for the entire play. And um, David's watching this, he'll know why he got the, the role, is he was the only person that sat erect the entire day. Mm -hmm. Every other accompanist, when, when, the, you know, when the singer was reading or something, would just flop off. And David sat there, and his presence was so... Such a calming, lovely presence, and he had to speak, and he had to act, and he played beautifully, and it's, it's just... Um, so all of the, the it, it's exciting to look for people from other disciplines and see how, how are they how are they going to how are they going to fit into this? I have six singers. I have the three that are on stage and then the three that are off stage because I think in my play it's really 
I think of it now, I've learned a lot in terms of double casting, because you have opera. I've learned a new thing, vocal rest. Yeah. It's very scary. <laughs> vocal what? Vocal rest. All of a sudden you get a call one day, and yeah. so-and-so has gone to the doctor, and they're on two, two, two weeks of vocal rest. Oh. And, um, I mean, my... Just don't go to that doctor. <laughs> don't go. I've spent more time on, doc on phones with doctors saying, what, what do you mean they can't go on for the next two weeks? Well, there's a slight inflammation on the side. I mean, so, something like the Broadway singers kind of will just, you know, push through it. So my, my standbys have been on almost as much as... Uh, mm -hmm. And three, uh, I have six of them. Three of them have never... Three out of half of them have never been in a play before. Hmm. So it's vocal rest. We in, I do I do the two people, eight performances a week. They have twenty-two songs that they share between the two, and plus all the scenes and all the costume changes, and they never miss. You know, oh, I know. Aaron you want to say David. he sings for three minutes? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> what like I mean, he's got to hit that B flat. You know, but the interesting thing is, I mean, though, it's quite an extraordinary thing for the tenor in my show. It's like we spend ten minutes talking about a B flat, and he better have it there. Mm. And there are times when he doesn't because they're not machines. Uh, but there's a different. You know, we end the scene differently. I know when somebody, he doesn't hit it. Who, there are different lines. Really? Well, we try oh, to create a real experience. Yeah, you can't fake it. You can't pretend he mm -hmm. hit the B flat. No. And so we, we realized out of town, we better have a different way out of the scene if he doesn't hit it. And it's, uh. so it's it's always is that particular experience for that particular audience um, of someone hitting it or not hitting it. There goes hitting again. Hitting. Turns in on the casting. Oh yes, yes. And then at the at the last and, and in the last round, even so, because you know we just had to make sure uh -huh. that that was uh -huh. that was happening, you know, and that was going to be, you know, it's not not an approval thing, but just you know, you know, when it comes down to casting, I don't know if this is your experience. I've never had an experience where there's been a big disagreement because it's always so obvious. Yeah. You know, not always. I, I think no. some. Oh, really? I did. What is it? Oh, there are times. Oh, really? I disagreed with a writer about an actor, and you know, sometimes I've been right and sometimes I've been wrong. And, mm. But more often, right. What? Well, <laughs> 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 that's right. right? <laughs> And George, you feel the same way? Yes. Oh, yeah. Because it's. Um, I mean, because it's. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, particularly when you work with uh, very forceful writers, uh, they have very, very, very strong opinions about how they see it. It's, it's also very interesting when you work with writers how they see the character who is really them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's oh, a wow. very, very fascinating, the, the, you know, and the they're romance They're always very attractive. They always see the <laughs> <laughs> The romance of who, of, of who they want to play them. That is always them. the most difficult role to play. It it's unquestionably is. Unquestionably is. The playwright, who, who the playwright is in the play. The vanity comes out astoundingly. Of course, in Terrence's case, because he's, he's an opera authority, too, right. so, uh, and somebody who cannot hack it vocally, he's going to know instantly. He's, right. I mean, he's right there. Those of you listening on the Metropolitan on Saturday. Oh, I know. You know he had a very, I mean, there were things that he saw in the, the pianist that I have, because I'm not an opera authority. I, I think I functioned in the same way you did with La Boheme. I, I started doing a lot of um, research on opera, and then I realized, no, 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 my place because I'm not an authority, and I've been only a few times in my life, is my place is to be the, the, the conductor to the audience, mm -hmm. the people that, you know, that, that don't know anything about the opera. 
And so if yeah. it, it has to get by me, you know, and then maybe they'll understand it. You ready? Keep talking. Keep talking? Yeah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, I'm Alex. Um, in this collaboration process, I was curious where the actor fits in and uh, what part do they get to add in with what they see mm. as their character, as their part, and what kind of relationship developed between you guys and the actor? It's to anyone. Let's take that up. Huh. Well, I had, in, in our show, this is an interesting, there's a juxtaposition of classical music and country music. And uh, the, the woman who plays the lead role in my show is, uh, was in Nashville for four years, songwriting and all this, and sometimes we would not pass, you know, I was writing music, and I'd have this song for her, and she'd go, no, you can't do that because that's not country. I go, what do you mean it's not country? Doesn't that ain't hit. country. This doesn't, doesn't hit. hit. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and that, and, but I, I depended on her, on her quite a few times. I mean, it, it is theater after all. It isn't uh, a country concert. And some of it you take and some of it you discard. But I used a lot of what well, she Everybody in, in Cowgirls was responsible for some change in some line mm -hmm. somewhere. I mean, yeah. by the end of it, they know the character a whole lot better than you do. And if something isn't ringing true... It's, it's a very delicate line, though, I think, with, with actors. Yes, it's very, very delicate. And it's like the you can get to when so-and-so, he wouldn't say that or she yeah. wouldn't say that. And, um, it, it, you know, your, your, your um, job always has to be to look at the whole, mm -hmm. the whole of the play and what's going to serve the play and not always to serve their particular character. I, mm -hmm. I, I did say on more than one occasion, this is not a democracy. Yeah. You know. Yes. yes. It was also fascinating. On Angels in America was the time where it was... It was sort of the most severe because actors had been performing part one for many months, oh, and yes. we were working on part two, and they were living, breathing, mm. were, uh, had become those people, and we're going, no, 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 that's not right for this character. I mean, it was very, it was, it was a severe sense of ownership, and, and so it was, it was a very interesting space to negotiate sometimes. A, a wonderful thing that can happen, and, and I know this is true of, of Terence's work, and it happened a bit on Rent, is when the playwright or composer can be inspired by yes. uh, the company, the actor, and the work is affected in that way. Yep. And, and I think some of the absolute best material in Rent occurred because Jonathan got to know mm -hmm. some of the, the actors portraying those characters. Mm -hmm. and a great... Everything you bring in the noise was literally built on the bodies. Yeah, those folks. Built completely yeah. and totally yeah. on the bodies and the powers and the strengths of what those people can and cannot do. Hello, my name is Rosalind Curry from the Random Act of Kindness Foundation, and my question is directed to George Wolf. I'd like to know was there a conscious decision not to include female dancers, and if so, why? It's very interesting. There, there, were, there were major discussions of, of, about it. It was the. Um, we there was there was this uh, one there was this one girl there was one uh, a girl tap dancer who saved and completely totally respects she was tied up in another project and there was there was this other uh, young woman who was at NYU and who wanted to quit school to come do the show. <laughs> And mm. I said, I don't, you know, and I went, I, I can't do that. So you, did, you need to stay. I'm, it, it, we, we, we tried very hard, very early on, uh, to, to add them in, and, uh, and with, with the one woman who was saved was very into who was not available, and this other woman, it, it was, it was just, it was just a very complicated thing. And then, 
as opposed to, uh, th th then I decided at one point, okay, well, let's let this be what it is, and, 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 and let's exp explore in a very specific way these young men and the dynamic that, that, that play at that. And then as a result of it, I think, the intensity of, of Anne's role in the project took on another sharper and a deeper focus as a result of that. Very well balanced, I think. Yeah, yeah. It turned out that you wouldn't think it could balance, but it did. It does. Thank you. My name is Harriet DeVito, and I'm, I'm an actress. My uh, question is directed to Leonard uh, Folia. What uh, changes in the production do you anticipate working with Patti LuPone? Um, well, it's, you know, it's all collaboration. I really don't know until we start. You know, she and I will start privately at the beginning of May. We'll start rehearsals. Well, she's a wildly <laughs> different person. And um, the, the play is probably one-third the real callous, one-third Terence's invention, and one-third the woman that'll inhabit it. So I, I think it'll be very different. It's a different generational thing. She's younger. Um, uh, it, it's hard to anticipate. I, all of it is exciting and thrilling. I'm so pleased, you know, that she's doing it. And um, so I, I, I can't say specifically. I, I hope to use the fact that she, she is a musician and she is a singer. We've talked about this already. And to see how that can be integrated into the piece. And um, so that's the one thing that we've talked about in advance, is how to use her, her own vocal ability and how that can... So that's the one thing I can see right now. What do you fear me about working off-Broadway with all of you have? and all of you come on Broadway as well. What's the difference in your work? What's the difference yeah, the, in your attitude? Do you feel the pressure, obviously, or not? Well, when I, well Masterclass is my first Broadway show, and luckily we had done it enough places so that my, my work was done before I came in here, and I'm really pleased of that. But even, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't look at the marquee, you know, I was just like, because I kept thinking, I'm just in a little theater on 45th Street. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, I, I feel lucky that my, uh, my work was done. Um, but hopefully we always have that situation that you talked about where you're not thinking about the future. And this wasn't either. We just went to Montana to workshop some play that Terrence was writing, and it developed and it turned into other things. I think if someone handed me and said, you're opening at the Golden in two months with this and Zoe Caldwell, and I don't know what that would have been. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, evolved. it evolved so naturally that hopefully we'll always be at that place where you can't look at the venue. Because if you do, I think... Do you think that hurts a project? Sometimes when you're setting out to create a Broadway show, I mean, the expectations are different. And like all of us, you know, the new things have all started in a smaller venue, not necessarily created to be a, a Broadway show. Does that somehow free I, I you so I, you're not thinking of money and well, I don't think you I mean I, I, I don't think you should ever I mean I, this is my opinion but I don't think you should ever think about anything being a Broadway show or off-Broadway show or anything I think mm -hmm. you just said about how do I tell this story and and, and, and how do I tell this story and and because I think that that there's I mean I it's sort of like I, working on a show. Seems to me, it's a sort of it's like it's like falling in love. You keep it private until you feel as though it's strong. Then you expose it to all mm -hmm. your friends and go, "Why are you with that person?" You know. And I think that's so much of like doing a play that that you have to be that you have to protect it and 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 not think about expectations. I don't know. 
I mean, something like Victor Victoria or Big or some of those things, they said they're clearly designed for that world. I mean, is that good? Well, I think I I think you know, musicals created for Broadway. A lot a lot of people are trying to force you to think in terms of like. Oh, you've got to have more production. Oh, you've got to do this. Oh, you've got to do that. that I mean, hurts it, do you think? Oh, I, I, maybe not for some people. I think it does. I because I think you just do the piece. And uh, my thinking is it's probably easier, at least in musicals, to just do the piece off Broadway than to just do the piece on Broadway for mm-hmm. when you have to raise eight million dollars, ten million dollars, and then you you make it. A lot of people are trying to make you make a lot of compromises. I think it's also very important that you that you allow yourself a chance I'm to discover. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh. I think I'm going to have to ask you all come back and have a, an extended run. There. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I hope that you will. But I, I must bring this to a close. This is the American Theatre Wing seminar on working in the theatre, and this seminar has been on the play script director the choreographer, the composer, and lyricist. And it's been an absolute wealth of material and knowledge has come out of this. I'm Isabel Stevenson, and I'm president of the American Theatre Wing. And this is just one of the many year-round programs of the American Theatre Wing. Thank you so much for being here.